Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, tonight we're going to be studying out of John chapter 3. If you want to open up John chapter 3, and uh, we're going to go from verse 9 to verse 21. So when you're in John 3, uh, you can just say, I'm there, or something like that, so I know you're there. Now, I like listening to uh, scholars. It's one of my favorite things to do. I like scholars on various topics. I enjoy specifically, though, scholars on, on the resurrection evidence. I enjoy scholars on creation. I enjoy scholars, especially, I love creation, Scott. Creationist verse, versus evolution. And so um, there was, it was about three weeks ago, and I'm listening to one scholar on creation, and he's, and he's given this whole lead-in and on this mathematical stuff and this and that. And uh, look, I can do math in my head. I can do addition, subtraction, multiplication, division real fast. Ask any staff member. They ask me, boom, I'll give them the answer right now. But beyond that, I'm, I, I know nothing, okay? I know nothing. But I can do that in my head. So he's talking these things, and he's sharing it. And he said, and, and it's 10, 15 minutes in, and I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Why are you talking about this? What's going And he called it the Mandelbrot set. Has anyone ever heard of that before? Any mathematicians here? Mandelbrot set. And I thought, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I thought, I'm going to play a trick on my math teacher's son at Riverside Poly. And so I text him. And I knew he was in class teaching mathematics. And he's Mr. Calculus and everything else. Because he always tries to get me on Bible stuff. How many know your kids always try to get you, right? So I thought, I'm going to get him. I'm going to act like I know what the Mandelbrot set is. And I have no clue what it is. So I text him and I go, hey, Mr. Math teacher, what's the Mandelbrot set? And he, he texts back. He goes, I, I, you know, what? I don't know what the Mandelbrot set is. And so I text back and I said, are you the math teacher of Riverside Poly and do not understand these things? <laughs> which is what we'll see tonight that Jesus says to Nicodemus. But I thought it was so great having a little bit of power over my math teacher's son in that moment. But he didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. After 15 minutes of listening to the guy, I had to turn it off because I still had no clue what the guy was talking about. Now, I say that to say this. Um, Nicodemus, he's in this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus is saying things, and Nicodemus, like me with the Mandelbrot set, Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is talking about. And to be honest with you, if I was in that day with Nicodemus sitting right there talking to Jesus, I would have no idea what Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus is coming, bringing this whole new idea of being born again, born of the Spirit, and Nicodemus is really struggling in his head with this whole thing, what's going on? So today, we're going to take it from where we left off last week, because we went through the whole born-again experience, and now we're going to pick up in verse 9. If you have your half sheet there, there's also fill-ins on that. If you don't, there's some in the doorway over there, but there's about five or six points I'm going to give you tonight to help you follow along. Number one is this, the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. The natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit now we've talked about this multiple times let, let me read verse 9 to you because jesus has gone through the whole thing they're interacting back and forth and in verse 9 here's what nicodemus says to jesus he says nicodemus said to him how can these things be what did he just say to jesus i don't get it i have no idea what you what, what are you talking about now i think that goes perfectly with verse 2, because Nicodemus came to Jesus by what? By night. Not just night time, but it really shows, as we looked at everything we've studied so far in John, it shows there's a spiritual darkness in Israel. Is there not? 
And so you kind of put all these pieces together that John, the disciple, is putting together. Now, he comes in spiritual darkness, doesn't get it. I would have said the same thing if I'm Nicodemus. So always keeping your marker in John where we're at. But let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm sure I've taken you there before, but let's go there and see what I mean by the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when you're there, say I'm there. Okay, you must have your cell phones in, but anyway. Now, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, we're going to read 11 through 14. Watch this. Paul writes, For who among you, verse 11, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? I use this verse whenever anybody tells me that they know that everybody is like this. I go, how can you possibly know what's in another person's heart? How can you possibly say you know what's in a person's heart? Only the spirit that's in that man knows what's in that man's heart or that woman's heart. So always remember that. So it says, even so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. So no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. He moves from no one knows, but now we can know because we have the Spirit of God. Are you tracking with him right there? Now, look at verse 13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Verse 14, he caps it, he says, but a natural man, that's an unregenerate, non-born-again person, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? They're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And Paul laid it out. He says, look, natural people, non-born-again people, they're never going to get you, are they? They're never going to completely understand you, will, will they? You're going to say things to them? Because I remember when I was a natural man, they say things to me. I don't get it. I don't even know if I want to get it. So Nicodemus, he's a natural thinker. He's not born again yet. He's not got to that place yet. So as Jesus talks to him, he doesn't understand. And that's why, remember, he said, well, how, how can a man get, go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Can he do that? He's going back to natural thinking. Now, I'll give Nicodemus credit on this. He comes to Jesus because he wants to know, right? And he asks questions even though he's beginning to feel a little bit like a fool, right? It should teach us something. Never be afraid to ask questions. That's how you learn. He's asking questions. I mean, how many of us, let's be honest, we do not ask questions in a crowd like this because we are afraid of not looking so smart. Anybody feel that way at all? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Get that on camera, please. No, I'm sure. Okay, so the natural man does not understand things. You're going to share things with people, they're not going to get it until they're born again and the Spirit of God dwells in them. That's why it's best to get people to Jesus first and once they accept Jesus and the Spirit of God lives in them, then they will begin to understand and accept what you are saying. But people naturally will take you on all these side issues, will they not? You got to get them back to Jesus. Because that's the starting point of everything. Now, here we go. Back to John 3. Point 2 is this. No matter how much we know, there is still more to know. Right? No matter how much I know, there's still more to know. Watch what Jesus tells Nicodemus in verse 10. He says, <clears throat> Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Now, that's pretty much kind of a slap, right? 
Are you the, you're the main teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? In other words, he's saying, you're the teacher and you still need to be taught, correct? That's what he's telling him. It's a great, great lesson for, I know for me. I mean, I've been studying the Bible 42 years. Some of you probably longer than that. 42 years. And we were discussing earlier, before everybody gets here, I said, a lot of things, I, I can remember things because we learn by repetition, and I've studied and studied and studied and studied and studied it so much that I, I can remember a lot of things. But here's what I found, and if, let's see if you found this too, the longer you're a Christian. The more things I learn, the more I feel like what? I don't know. I just don't know. It's like, there's so much to learn. That's why when people tell me, I've already read through the Bible. Oh, really? Wow, you did it once, huh? No, you got to keep going over and over and over and over again because it starts to jump out at you. It starts to explode in your spirit. Am I right? I mean, and then you start to see, oh, man, look at these things right here. Look, there's so many things I still don't know. I'm still ignorant of in the Bible. Watch this. Turn back again to 1 Corinthians, but this time look at, look at chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Real quick, one verse, then we'll jump back. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and look at verse 12. It says, for now we see, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror how? Dimly, but then face to face. Now, meaning our life right now, we know in what? Part. But then I will know fully just as I also have been what? Fully known. So when will I know everything? When I'm in heaven, face to face, Jesus Christ, glorified body, I've got the mind of God completely, I'm not in a frail body, it's not finite anymore, it's infinite, and I will know everything, because I will be with Jesus Christ at that moment. But right now, there's still a lot to learn, is there not? I mean, I think I told you last week during the time we have afterwards when we ask questions, different things, somebody, and I made it, I, I said it uh, facetiously, but I really meant it, I used to know everything, and now I don't, okay? I used to know everything when I was a young preacher, I thought I knew everything, now I don't, and I, and I just know I don't, okay? Now, in your notes, going back to John 3, the real source of Nicodemus' lack of understanding, and there, let me read verses 10 through 12, and then I'll tell you what they are. Look at verse 10 again. It's the source of Nicodemus' lack of understanding. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Now look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and testify to what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Did you notice the three things Jesus says in there? He says, first off, in verse 10, you do not understand. Then in verse 11, he says, you do not accept. Then in verse 12, he says, you do not believe. So you don't understand, you do not accept, and you do not believe. I have a question for you that I will answer, but I'm just curious for me to think about it. Which one of them? Is it understanding? Is it acceptance? Or is it belief? Which one would you think? And I'm just going to tell you what I think. It would be the first step for Nicodemus to come into that born-again experience. What do you think is the first step? I, I just think it's accept. I have to accept Christ. Now, we could debate it till the end of time, guaranteed. You might be right, I might be right, I don't know. But I think once I accept what Jesus says, 
then I'm going to now, oh, now I'll believe who he says he is, right? And once I believe who he says he is, now the Spirit of God comes in me, and now I what? And now I understand. And now I get it. But it all starts with me accepting Christ in my life. Now, let me tell you what I like about what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, we speak that which we, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we speak that which we what? No. Okay, no. Is Jesus speaking a theory or, an, or he understand, knows it by experience? See, he doesn't just have the knowledge. He has it by the experience. And that's a very important statement because as Christians, we can build up a lot of knowledge, can we not? But I got to walk in the experience of what I'm learning, correct? Because otherwise, I get out there and I share my faith with somebody and it's just knowledge. And I think after a while, people can see through that. But you have to walk in the experience. The one thing when I read that verse, I, can I, I'm a movie guy. You guys know that, right? So let me show you where my mind goes when I read a verse like that. Because my mind always flicks back to movies. How many have ever seen that movie, Goodwill Hunting? Okay. In that movie, if you've never seen it, I've given you 25 years. So I'm going to ruin it for you, okay? Will Hunting is a young guy, and he's brilliant. He's beyond brilliant. He's got a mind that can remember. He's got a mind. In every facet of education, this guy is brilliant. But he's got such a troubled past, his life has gone nowhere. He's just in trouble. Have you ever met somebody like that? That they could have been so much in life, but there's so much baggage and things in their past that they never get where they should have been in life? I've seen that. It's very troubling to watch that. We're like, God, they could have been so much. Their mind is, they're so smart. They're so this and that. So they try to help Will Hunting, Matt Damon, because they've realized, the one professor realized he's real smart. I want to get this guy, his math mind is so good. So he takes him to counselors, and Matt Damon, Will Hunting, is so smart, he'll pick up on things, and he sees little things there, and he gets inside, uh, inside the mind of the counselors, and nobody wants to counsel him anymore because he's just smart. And until he meets up with Robin Williams, right, with Sean. And that first time he meets up with Robin Williams, he looks at Robin Williams' office, and he's, he's discerning everything, the picture of him in the storm, all this stuff, and he now he's trying to find the, the vulnerable point of Robin Williams. Remember that? And he gets him. Robin Williams gets upset. He wants to end his life, everything. He, and, and Matt Damon's all happy. Well, he's happy. And so what, is, what does Robin Williams do the next time they meet? Does he meet him in the office? No. Meets him in a park. There's nothing there of Robin Williams that Matt Damon can try to pick out and try to get him on. There's nothing there. It was a great move. It was a great thing in the movie. And so Robin Williams basically tells him this. I can't remember all the lines, but he says this. Because you read about the Sistine Chapel in a book, you think you know, but you've never been there. You've never experienced this. He says, you know, you talk about relationship with love, but you've never been able to hold on to a long-term relationship. He says, have you ever held a dying man in your arms in war? No, but you just read about it in books. And because you read about it in books, you think you know. He pegged him because he... Well, hunting has no experience. It's all head knowledge. And that's all it is. And see, as Christians, it has to move from our head to our heart in application. We have to live it. It just can't be in our minds. Because we've got to live this thing out. Does that make sense? 
We've got to do that, okay? Let's go ahead again. Now, number three in your notes, and that's this. Jesus says, I've come from heaven. What a shocker, huh? I've come from heaven. Now, look back. Look at verse 13. He says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he, Jesus, who what? Descended from heaven, and he calls himself what? The, the Son of Man. Oh, here we go. So first off, Jesus is saying there is an afterlife. There is a realm beyond right now. There is a heaven. I've come from there. I've been there. I've seen it. And we know that Jesus is going to go back there, and he's there now, but he's going to come back for us, right? So Jesus himself states that there is a heaven. And for Nicodemus, that's not a hard concept for him to understand. You know why? Because Pharisees believe in afterlife. They believe in heaven. They believe in the existence of angels. It's the Sadducees that don't believe in any of that. But Pharisees do believe that. Now, Jesus asserts to Nicodemus that he's the son of... The son of what? Son of man. Now, we talked about this a little bit a week ago Sunday with the trial of Caiaphas on Sunday. But I couldn't go into any, any greater detail because we move a little faster in that thing. But when he says that, that's a big statement. The son of man. Now, Mark here, go back to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Jesus says the son, he calls himself the son of man. So for Nicodemus, Nicodemus knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. He knows exactly the verses uh, from the Old Testament about the Son of Man. He knows who the Son of Man is supposed to be. And so Jesus used that about himself. Let, let me tell you something. I'm only going to read verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7. Don't read them now. Let me read them in a second. Look up at me once you get there. The book of Daniel, one of the most intense prophetical books you'll ever read in your life. It's going to take me two years to get through John. You guys know that by now, right? But once I finish John, I'm going to go through Daniel. I weighed between the two, which one I was going to do, and I said, I'll start New Testament. I love the Old Testament. But in Daniel, Daniel gives prophecies. And the prophecies in Daniel 7 and other parts are, and he's spot on. This Daniel lived 2,600 years ago. And he writes these prophecies there that there would be this one empire, and the empire we know it as Babylonian. And then after that, he says they'll be conquered by another empire, which we know as the Persian Empire. And he's given symbols of them, and they line up right. And he says, and they'll be conquered by the, uh, by the, by the Greeks, Alexander the Great. And then they'll be conquered by the iron, and that's the Roman Empire. And then he says, in the latter days, there will be the ten toes, that's the statue prophecy, the ten toes will be mixed of clay and iron, so it'll be a new Roman Empire, ten toes. We look at that like the ten-nation confederacy possibly in the Roman Empire in Europe. That, but then that little horn will rise up through that. The little horn is the Antichrist. He's given these prophecies. That's why skeptics will say, Daniel had to have been written later on because he hit it spot on. He's taking you through all this history, which he has not experienced yet. We look back, and we know that did happen. But he's prophesying forward in the future. That's one of the reasons when you share with people, they say, how do you know the Bible's true? Share the prophecies. This is no ordinary book. How could that be? And so we look back 2,600 years ago, and he shares all this stuff. But when he talks about the little horn, the Antichrist, that's still not in our past. It's in our what? It's in our future. 
pointing to the future in our lives. And this is what he says about the end times, about this person who will come to crush the last of these empires. Now watch, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Going back to the Son of Man. He says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a what? Son of Man. There it is. So Nicodemus knows. Was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory. Glory, that's worship. You only worship God, right? So now we know the Son of Man must be God, correct? Because he's given worship. G glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men, every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So when Jesus returns, and we know him as the Son of Man, he's going to end that final kingdom, that new Roman Empire, and he will establish his kingdom on earth. And Daniel is prophesying all this stuff into the future. Isn't that wild? He said it's spot on. And Jesus comes along, back to John 3. Let's go back to John 3. And Jesus comes along and says, Nicodemus, I'm the Son of Man. So Nicodemus knows in that moment that Jesus is telling him, I'm God, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one to come. Now, question, what do you think Nicodemus is thinking at that moment? <laughs> Mind blown, right? Are you kidding me? You're this person? So I think he's still struggling with it. I don't think he's accepting it fully yet, but we'll get to that tonight in a second. Now, number four in your notes, and that's this. Jesus compares himself to a bronze serpent in the wilderness. Now, this is where Jesus drills down, and I love what he gives Nicodemus. Look at verse 14 and 15 of John 3. Now that he says, Son of Man, in verse 13, verse 14 he adds, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, in the desert, even so must the Son of Man, there it is again, himself, Son of Man be lifted up. So now he's saying the Son of Man, Jesus, I have to be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him, the Son of Man, have what? Now he's giving Nicodemus something that Nicodemus can also relate to. Nicodemus hears that. He says, okay, Nicodemus, I'm going to show you more about this born-again stuff on how to be born again. Now I'm going to illustrate it for you in a way that I think you can understand. Once again, keep your marker here. Now watch this. Turn to Numbers chapter 21, your Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 21. Because Jesus takes him right back to here. And when you're in Numbers 21, say, I'm there. This is one of the great Old Testament events that points to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. Then they set out from Mount Or by way of the Red Sea. Mount Or is in Edom. For those of you who went to Israel with us, went to Petra, it's just east of Petra in a mountain range. It just means mountain, and it's the highest point. It's the mountain where Aaron, the brother of Moses, dies. So this has just happened. By way of the Red Sea. To go around the land of Edom. They have to go around the land of Edom because earlier in the Old Testament, 
the Edomites will not let, we find out the Edomites will not let Israel, as they're traveling to the promised land, they won't let them pass through. They've got to go around. So, and people became impatient because of the journey. Have you ever gotten impatient on a journey? Imagine them. Okay, yeah. Yes, are we there yet is the common phrase. The people spoke against God and Moses. How many know that's a little dangerous? It's a little dangerous right there. Okay? You're not just not speaking against Moses, you're speaking against God. And if you ever want to be in any leadership, just know somebody's going to speak against you. Okay, Just know it's coming. It's just part of the territory. And here's the question. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Is that what Moses told him? I'm going to take you out there to kill you. This is what they're thinking now. Oh, you brought us out here just to kill us. Yeah, that's why God parted the Red Sea, to kill you over here. He could have drowned you in the water, but I'll just do it out in the desert. They're delirious now. Now, for there is no food and no water, which is a lie, and we loathe this miserable food. Question, what miserable food are they talking about now? The manna, what God supplied for them, right? Which they thought was great because they were hungry, and now it's miserable food. Be careful what you ask for, huh? Verse 6. The Lord sent fiery serpents, these are snakes, among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. Okay, you want to die in the desert? I'll let you die in the desert. Isn't that great? No, it's not great, okay. Verse 7. So the people came to Moses and said, now they're panicked, and said, we have sinned, you think? Because we have spoken against the Lord and you, and you intercede, Moses, please intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Now he's talking to God. He's praying to God. Okay, God, what are we going to do now? Because they want me to talk to you. They, they're repenting. They, they realize they've sinned. And watch what happens. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, on a pole. We've all seen the in doctor's offices, the whole snake and everything. That's where it comes from right there. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he looks at that serpent, that bronze serpent up there on that pole, shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, on the pole. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he, the person who got bit, looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Kind of a weird story, huh? But it's pointing. It's pointing. They rebel against God. I don't like this food. Manna. Manna. Jesus said in the New Testament, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. Who are they rejecting? In a sense, Jesus. God, the God-man. I don't, want, I don't like this. And they're grumbling, complaining. 1 Corinthians 10 they don't make it in the promised land because they grumbled. Grumbling will always keep you out of your best in your life. And so now, the, God sends these, these serpents, these snakes, and they're biting everybody because you're in rebellion. Okay, you've opened yourself up to the serpent the way Adam and Eve opened themselves up to the serpent. Does it make sense? Okay. And so please, Moses, please pray for us. Okay, God says, okay, here's the remedy. You, you fabricate a snake made out of bronze. You put him on a pole. You set it up, and you set it up there. And so when people get bit by a snake, they can come up and look at that snake, which is not a real snake. It's only a likeness of a snake, right? And Jesus, in Romans 8, 3, came in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
So you see the parallels? And it's made out of bronze. You know what bronze is? It's the medal of judgment in the Bible. Oh, so there's the judgment being taken right there. The snake will be the thing taking the judgment. If you just look at it, which means you have to look in faith, correct? Correct? You can't just look at it and go, oh, there. No, you look in faith, believing that if you look at that thing, the poison in your veins will dissipate. You'll be healed. You set it up there. Now, Jesus gives Nicodemus this illustration. I want you to think about that. Nicodemus thinks about that story, and when he walks away from Jesus, do you think he fully understands it yet? The answer is no. But he's processing the story because Jesus just gave him something he can understand, huh? I can put my teeth in this story. Now, I have a question for you. Is Nicodemus, when Jesus is on the cross, crucified, is Nicodemus there that day? Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's there that day. Question. Nicodemus is there that day, and he's been mulling over this this event in his mind of what Jesus said for a couple years now at least. And as he stands there at the crucifixion, and he sees Jesus lifted up on that cross, what do you think he thought? I think he thought, I get it. I get it. I understand. You're the Son of Man. You're the Messiah. You're being lifted up. Oh my gosh, for our sins, if we look to you in faith, I get it. See, Jesus gave him something that he could fully understand in the moment. And I think he does that for people. Because doesn't God want everyone to come to salvation? Any amens on that? So he got that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, now let's venture forward back to John 3 and look at verse 16, the well-known verse in the Bible. Because now we could, it could take a broad meaning for us and for Nicodemus in verse 16, as we know, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, <clears throat> uh, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Can Nicodemus now put that verse together with Jesus said later on at the cross? Can he put it together? You better believe he can. Whoever believes in him. Now, let me just give you two truths there in your notes that I think you can go. We, I could have done a whole night on that verse, but I know you guys, some of you aren't really crazy about when I spend 45 minutes on one verse, so I get it, okay? But I like one verse studies. Every so often, I'm still going to do it, you know. So. The first thing is, how do you measure so? For God so loved the world. How do you measure so? When I was a little kid, you know, my dad used to ask us, and he'd, and he'd ask the grandkids when they came along, he'd say, do you love me one or do you love me ten? Well, of course, ten's being the best. I love you ten, you know. Okay, then I'd see him with the grandkids as I got older, you know, do you love me one or two? Ten, granddaddy, ten. So when my grandkids get old enough to understand it, guess what I'm going to ask them? Do you love me one or do you love me ten? They better love me ten. Now, Ten's a lot. It's the bestest when you're a little kid, right? But how does ten compare to so? For God so loved the world. How do you measure that? God so loved you. How do you measure that? You can't measure it, can you? There's no way you can measure it. 
It's beyond 10. It's beyond infinity. But God so loved the world. Think about that. The second little bullet point there I want you to write down is believe means to trust. We started off this way, uh, this way, way back in the beginning of this book. Uh, it's the, the idea of belief is not, well, I believe there's a God. That's not what the word means in John. It's not what it means. People say, oh, I believe in a God. I believe there's a God. That's, I'm sorry. You could do that all you want on this side of the grave and then stand before God after, after you pass away and say, oh, I, I believe there was a God. Doesn't cut it. Uh-uh. Believe means that you jump in. You jump in two feet first, deep in, that you're joined together with Jesus Christ. You are the bride of Christ. Not just, well, I believe, uh-uh, that don't cut it. You're all the way in. I have performed over 100 wedding ceremonies in my life. Gone to many, many receptions. You know what I've never seen? I've never seen after that wedding reception is over, the bride turn to her new husband and say, hey, you know, it's been real. Had a lot of fun today, but now I'm going to go spend the week with my old boyfriend. I've never seen that before in my life, okay? And I hope I never see that, all right? Because they don't do that, do they? Because now they're the bride and they're married. And that's what belief is. You jumped in. You're married. You're in union with Jesus Christ. It's not just like, well, for, the, for Sunday, for the weekend. Uh-uh. You're in a deep relationship and it's all the way in. Amen to that one? Now look at verse number five in your son. That's this. Jesus has every reason to, conde- to condemn mankind, but he doesn't. But he doesn't. Look at verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Right? I like that song. The Chris Tomlin song, um, You're a Good, Good Father. Okay, but the, the line I like a lot in that song is, Well, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. That's the line I like. You know why? It's true. How many different stories do you hear that people think this is what God's like? And they're wrong. And they're wrong. You sit there and go, you have no idea what God's like. Your whole concept. How many of you have run into this? You find that people who are not Christians, they're not in the Christian world, the Christian church, their concept of Jesus Christ and God in the church is based on a few stories they read out there or dumb TV shows that make us look like idiots. Right? And that's their whole concept. And they have no idea. They've never been in the church to see all the good things we do to help people, have you? Have they? They don't see that. They don't see how we take lives that are broken, torn up, and we bring them in and nurture them, you know, if they need physical help, spiritual help, emotional help. They don't see those things. They just, they just, oh, because there's no, you have no idea. Jesus said, he said, look, in verse 17, I didn't come to the world to judge the world. But how many people out there think that's what God just wants to judge everybody? How many people think like that? Jesus says, I didn't come to judge it. I came to what? I came to save it. I came to save it. In the fall sometime, I wrote it on, I have a a white board 
in my office. It's where I work everything for series coming up and current series. If you're ever going there, at some points it looks like insanity on that wall. But my mind is always moving towards the future like that. I, about three months ago, I wrote on there, and I write, when, when I first write for a future series, I'll just make it a one line, a few little thoughts, and I'll put in there with the current series is here, the next series is there. Like, like after this series, that we finish Sunday, my series up there, it says, love is, and then it's fill in the blank. I'm going to do five weeks on what love is. Then after that, you see on the other side of the wall, it's like the next series for summer, I'm going to do when life gives you lemons. We're going to study the life of Joseph on Sunday mornings. What do you do when life gives you lemons? And then I'm right, now, so then I wrote down three months ago or something like that, I wrote down, you know, what they think you're like. Because I thought, that'd be a great series. And with the song, well, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. And we take five, six weeks of what people think God is like, and then we show them, no, God is like this. God is like this. Because too many people have a false concept of God, and the false concept of God keeps people away from God. Amen? Amen. Now, question, as I move on to the last three verses and close it up. What keeps people from surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ? I'll tell you. Let me read it, because I can relate to this. Maybe you can't, but I surely can. Verse 18 to 21. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, the world, into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for the deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Question again: What keeps people from coming to Jesus Christ? Same thing that kept me. I love the darkness. I love the sin. And my whole mindset was, if I come to Jesus, he's going to take away all that from me. Why would I want to do that? Now, let me finish with this thought apart from that thought. This is our end. <clears throat> Nicodemus comes to faith, right? Say yes. How do I know that? Well, him and Joseph of Arimathea, they're the ones who basically get Jesus' body after the crucifixion, right? Joseph gives up this tomb, and they take, and they put Jesus in the tomb. They're doing a rush job before it gets dark and everything, because at sunset they can't, because, well, they can't. You know, It's going to be a, a um, Sabbath rest. So they put him in there, put spices in there as best they can, close the tomb, everything. <clears throat> now, the reason why they put the spices over the tomb is to cover the decaying smell. You know, it's, the, it's the world that they lived in. And which, by the way, they would leave them in the tombs for like a year to two years, and then they come back, and they go in there, and when they're just bones, then they take the bones of, the, of these friends or those relatives, and they put them in what's called ossuary boxes. Little boxes this big. Then they put them in there. They take the ossuary box, and they put them in another area where all the family members' ossuary boxes are, and that's the way they did that. They have found Caiaphas from the Bible. They found his ossuary box so many years back. They found it. They were doing excavation, doing building. They saw this, and they stopped everything, and they found it. He actually existed. Huh? Isn't it great the Bible keeps, archaeology keeps affirming the Bible? I just love stuff like that. Now, how can I prove that Nicodemus truly came to faith in Jesus? 
How can I prove that? Think, think. This is your last thought, think. He and Joseph of Arimathea take the body, the dead body of Jesus. They take it, they put it in the tomb, they put the spice over it, they roll the stone. How does that prove it? What weekend is it? Oh, it's Passover. It's Passover. Don't you remember our, our story from Sunday? We can't walk in the praetorium because we'll be what? We're unclean. It's Passover weekend. Nicodemus knows if he touches a dead body, what is he? He's unclean. Do you think he cares anymore? No, because why? Because he has found the real Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And so it didn't matter to him if he's going to be unclean because he found the real deal. The fulfillment of the prophecies is right there before him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your word. God, thank you how it encourages us and instructs us and corrects us and in everything that it does. Thank you, Father, for this. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.